Hello to you all. This is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia. I am here to give a message to those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in their lives. Whatever your background, whether you're an atheist or from a philosophical religion like Buddhism or some ritualistic practice, how can you be satisfied with that if that's empty and isn't reality? You need to know what is real. That is only what will satisfy the inner core of your being. So I want to refer, refer those that are new to go to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where I have a flip book with very original writing that I've written by the gifting of the Spirit of God. And there's lots of the print that is highlighted in red, which are links to YouTube videos that are very profound and amazing, showing from many fields of science and archaeology the reality of what I am sharing about. And I can assure you, you will be amazed at what are on some of these YouTube videos and the validity of them. Um, did you know that they found the, the crossing of the Red Sea? And they also found, you know, that as the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, there was a pillar, right? A fire. It melted the sand and the rock together. And you can see where that pillar leads into the Red Sea and all the melted sand and rock in one of the videos. There's some other videos there that show when through um, Ron Wyatt, the Ark of the Covenant was discovered, which Israel knows has been discovered. And if I share with you what they discovered, well, it's too much here to share with you. It's quite amazing. It took three years or more, I think, for Ron Wyatt, Wyatt with his team to dig a tunnel through into where the Ark of the Covenant was discovered, which happens to be directly under where Christ was crucified and the blood actually landed on the mercy seat. I know this sounds too amazing, but it's true. This man is not a liar. He's a man of God. And uh, they tested the blood, and it's not the blood of the normal man. It's the blood that came through God. And so that was all discovered too. And you can watch such things as that on there. You can see all the evidence against evolution from very solid things that have been discovered. And I'm not going to go into anything more on all of that. That's just a little bit of an introduction for those that might happen to see this video that are new. This video is about the ultimate perfection and manifestation of love which is the very reason for which you exist and all things exist. And what is the ultimate manifestation and perfection of love? It is the one true eternal God. He is referred in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, in the English, it's Lord God. That's the most frequent thing you will see in the Old Testament. And most, almost always when it's Lord, it is in the original Hebrew, Yahweh, the most sacred name for God, meaning the ultimate source of reality, the creator above 
separate and beyond creation, the I am that I am. And the second word, which is God, in the Hebrew is usually Elohim, which means, saying it literally in English, the Almighty's One, which is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, we worship one true God, not three gods. But for God to be God, he must be in three personages in order to rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation and time and space as God the Father, seeing the end from the beginning. The word Father means originator. And the Son basically means expression of the Father. It says in Hebrews 1.3 that Jesus Christ is the full expression of God the Father. He is God in personage in the creation realm, partaking of the feelings and all the things that are in the creation realm, such as time and so on. And then God must also be in personage and omnipresence, filling all dimensions in creation of time and space and also beyond creation with the Father. And so God must be in three personages to fully rule. If he wasn't in those in th personage over those three ultimate aspects of existence, he wouldn't be the Almighty One true God. And if he wasn't the ultimate perfection of love, he wouldn't be. It's only an ultimate perfection of love that can be an ultimate trustworthiness, trustworthiness, worthy to contain unlimited power, authority in life without being corrupted by it or using it in a corrupt way, which is indicative that he is the very source and therefore the one true almighty God. And I can go in and briefly, I guess, say here about this love before I get into the message, which is to those that have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so, it's true for those that are wondering. Jesus Christ visited Abraham back in Genesis 18. You can see it yourself. He's at his tent door and he sees three men, maybe about 10 feet before him. He recognizes they're not ordinary men. He makes a tremendously wonderful meal for them. They all eat food with him, and he addresses one of them as Yahweh, the most sacred name of God, someone that's eating food with him. And of course, later they go forth to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and the two angels are sent beyond, but the one who's Yahweh continues with Abraham and then ascends back to heaven. Jesus Christ was there with Abraham. I want to share with those about this love a bit. First of all, God's love has integrity. It's very pure. It always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. It's described as agape love and 1 John in the Bible. 
It says God is love. Yes, and this love is first of all so pure and integrous that it is a blazing fire of judgment against anything that would be contrary to this love that always chooses the highest lasting good. Anything that chooses less than the highest lasting good obviously has a measure of corruption in it. This love is the antithesis of corruption. It is the very opposite of corruption. It ensures a destiny that can go on forever without corruption, which is where our destiny is, in heaven. In a love relationship with God that is ever expanding in our own unique creativity of fellowship with him and very fulfilling and with his creation of multitudes of myriads of angels of many different types and of other creations that we haven't even known of. It's a wonderful destiny. So this love is represented with a negative symbol in mathematics which represents cutting off all corruption and an indestructible foundation, the very source of reality, in other words, is out of this foundation, which is the holiness of God, the defensive aspect of the love of God, or you could say the holiness of his love. And from that foundation springs forth creativity and the ultimate expression of this love, which is in the positive symbol, which is created out of the negative symbol by crossing out the negative symbol. And I will add to you that the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet in the symbolic languages or letters that go back from 1500 BC and earlier to the beginning of writing, and it wasn't just the Hebrew language, but other, almost all the languages, but the last letter was always in the exact shape of the cross and meant sign or symbol. So there you go. So don't start protesting these people that protest the, the symbol of the cross and try to get them removed. It goes right back to the beginning of time. So, but God's love is so great. The positive symbol represents the fact that God's love is so great that he could take judgment upon himself for us and that that was always within his being to be able to do that. And of course, it was actually verified and demonstrated in this time and space realm in Jesus Christ, who is God manifest in the flesh, the full expression of the being, the perfection of the being of God, who is love who could only contain unlimited authority, power, and life without it being corrupted or using it in a corrupt way, and is the source. I want to share with you what God is saying by his spirit to the body of Christ. I know that's a bit of a long introduction. What I seek to do is to speak as the oracles of God, because the word of God says, in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. When we come together as believers in the church, we should be seeking to let God speak out of us to one another, to build one another up into conformity to God's purpose for us to be conformed to his love and to his fullness individually and corporately as a body. And so I will seek to do that. There's another verse that ex explains this even more, and that is Revelations 19.10 that says, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in great reverence and humility, 
in spirit and in truth, out of genuine love for God, we are filled with the Spirit of God in an overflow beyond ourselves that results in creative utterances that are beyond ourselves, that are from the Spirit of God, which is the spirit of prophecy or speaking as the oracles of God. And so I will seek to speak this message out of a heart set and a mindset of worship to the body of Christ for this particular time. This is a message, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches throughout the United States, throughout Canada, and around the world at this time. This is what he is saying. And one of the things I do to facilitate speaking as the oracles of God is I cast lots before the Lord with great reverence using two independent random applications to get the possibility of any chapter and to get two chapters so that the one chapter bears witness with the other chapter and amplifies the theme and the message and so it is today as it always is. The only time that it doesn't happen is if I try to do it when I'm half asleep because I'm really sleepy or I do it in a hurry without reverence or if I have sinned in some way. This has rarely happened, but when you do this and you're walking in a love relationship that's right with God, if you're led to do it, it works very powerfully. It was used throughout the Old Testament extensively. It was used by the early church to choose the apostle to take Judas' Judas's place. It was used by powerful movements of revival like the Moravian movement of revival. They used it even to choose their own wives. <laughs> well, I'm still single. <laughs> I would still like to have a godly life, wife to co-labor with, even at my age, although I'm very young for my age, but that's neither here nor there. I am here right now to share what God is saying today. So, after I receive these two chapters, I meditate on them for a half an hour, and I don't know what I'm going to speak today, but that's what's happening. I'm going to speak a message after that. I have meditated on these two chapters. And so before I do choose a song, and I'm very fussy, and I'm developing a long playlist on my site at loverealize.com, which is now well over 100 songs. Many of them, almost all of them, are really deep, wonderful, meaningful words and beautiful songs. And I am I'm actually, when I find ones that you can't put up on a overhead projector, I change the background and I put the words with the music. And so today is that I had to do that also after I meditated for a half an hour on the words. So now I'm about to just, uh, and then upload it on YouTube and so on. Okay, I'm going to just have that song play before us right now that I created as far where's the background and the words go and we will it's the one that goes with this message from a hymn book of 1080 hymns from throughout church history and a lot of them also from the underground church in china back in the days of watchman he with his co-workers and they planted many 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 churches and uh watchman he was martyred in 1972 okay let's go with this song
wonderful. I was just created that song up there so you can use it on an overhead projector. Okay. I want to share also probably, first of all, what I received throughout the week, and those are all on audio messages. I do an audio podcast almost every day. There's the odd day I miss. I might have missed two days this week or one day. I've forgotten now. But uh, every day of the week, I'm ministering the Word of God, even on Sunday. So um, there are times when I can't always get the message in, but it's pretty well almost daily. For the most, it is. Okay, I'm just going to uh, bring up what I received this week. Now, first of all, I will tell you what I received today before I get into it. Um, so I'm scrolling to that. And I received Genesis 32 and Philemon 1. These two chapters have the common theme of a crisis where it looks like one will not find mercy or grace, but rather great loss before one whom they seek to be received by. In Genesis 32, it's Jacob who's facing the great trial because he's about to meet Esau and he's fearful that he's going to be having the loss of his wife and children and everything else. And so he's in great concern before God. And of course, Philemon is also about Onesimus being received by Philemon. And Paul, of course, pleaded with Philemon to receive him, who had left him and fled from him as a slave. And so those are the two passages today. You see how God fits things together? This happens over and over again. And you'll see that as I touch on what the theme has been this week, starting going all the way back to Monday here, where I received Joel chapter 3 and Psalms 47. These two chapters have the same theme, which is about the heathen nations gathering against God's people and God's complete victory with full judgment upon them. That is what you will see in those two passages. They really do fit together in a wonderful way. And so I preached a message on that and did some word studies, obviously, in that one. It seems that I'm filled with that there. But this is basically what I received. And, of course, in Psalm 47, it emphasizes us praising the one who is the king of all the earth. It says in Psalm 47, 1 to 7, it says, O clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph, for the Lord most high is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom he loved. Remember, the Word of God is very clear that His purpose is that we as corporate assemblies should come into the fullness of the maturity corporately so that the body is filled with the fullness of God. This is very clear in Ephesians. In that fullness, 
comes the authority to subdue the nations under our feet. Am I saying that this is going to happen in some gradual way and that everything's going to get, oh, everyone's going to get converted and there's not going to be any war or tribulation? Not at all. Not at all. It is very clear in the word of God that the world system will take over and the Antichrist will take over. But in the midst of that, there will be the body of Christ and John 17 will be fulfilled. There will be people coming into the place where they are full, coming into the fullness of Christ in their lives individually and corporately. John 17 will be fulfilled. It is the zeal and the desire of God's heart to have his spiritual temple in many cities and towns throughout every nation of the world. And praise will bud, bud, bud forth, as it says in Isaiah, as the buds from a garden in this time. Yes, there will be a great destruction. When the Lord returns and the Mount of Olives splits in half, the cities of the nations will fall. This is clearly prophesied throughout Isaiah, throughout a number of places in the book of Revelation and so on. And there's even the Jewish lad that saw this happen and is interviewed by Orthodox rabbis, which can hardly believe his description because almost everything he's saying is describing Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and they're still afraid to acknowledge it. There's a lad that was dead for 15 minutes and saw certain aspects of the future, such as the Mount of Olives splitting in half, the two prophets. I don't even think he knew about the two prophets in Revelation. He didn't even know this was in the scripture. He came to a Jewish Orthodox rabbi, so maybe you can look him up on YouTube if you say, Jewish lad uh, describes the coming of the Messiah. You'll figure out something. I'm sure it would come up. Okay, I don't want to get into that too much. It also promises, what is it, to the church of Thyatira that he will give them power over the nations to break them as the vessels of a potter. And what did, over, what did Thyatira overcome? The spirit of compromise. If I remember right, it's Thyatira that had to battle the spirit of of compromise with Jezebel and so on. I may have it mixed up with Pergamus. I don't think so. Pergamus is the one on uh, fighting um, where there's the promise of, of that he will come and fight against them with the sword of his mouth if they don't repent. But I'm not going to go into that there. We just want to touch on these things. On Tuesday I received Luke 12 and Psalms 7. And the common theme found in these two chapters is to not fear those that persecute us because God knows our needs and even the number of hairs on our head. This is very clearly brought out in both of these chapters. I don't have time to go in. I'm just touching on it. It says here, for example, in Psalm 7, 15 to 17, he made a pit and digged it and is fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealings shall come down upon his own pate. I will praise Yahweh according to his righteousness, and will sing praise to the name of Yahweh, the Most High. You see, 
we do not need to fear. When people are obviously digging a pit for us, and this is very evident in the United States right now, look at what they're trying to do. They put all these people that are totally innocent in jail just because they were there on January the 6th. And some of them weren't even there and they put them in jail without a lawyer, and they are torturing them, not allowing them to shave, to wash, putting them in solitary confinement. Some of them have been beaten. They are treating them terribly. They're being tortured unjustly. This is happening in our land. And it is getting very close to the verge of civil war in the United States. My prayer is that God's people will recognize that though they see this pit being dug, that they will not fear, but that they will turn to him as never before and repent of their idols of amusement, watching sports, hours of sports instead of praying and seeking God. I'm not going to condemn people for watching sports. It's not wrong in itself to relax and watch sports. Who am I to do that? But I am wanting to warn you, don't allow yourselves to stumble into things that rob you of time that should be redeemed. We're to be those that are redeeming the time. A little bit of wine and the next thing you know, the person is an alcoholic eh? with some people. The same with sports. Same with many things. We need to repent of the loves of materialism, of the gods of pleasure, of amusement in the United States, and repent that the churches are not becoming his awakened, conquering bride church, which is a house of prayer and a house of holiness. And I've written a book on that, God Headship and Body Invasion, which you can get on Amazon.com that shares all you can do in your local congregation to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. Now, I want to go on here and share what God's been saying this week. On Wednesday, I received Exodus 30 and Proverbs 29. But I wanted more, and so I cast lots if I can't see things clearly. And then I really do get to see it very clearly. And... Uh, so this is what I discovered in these chapters. Corporately, as a people, Israel could not be accepted of God without atonement through offerings of money and animal sacrifices. As a nation, that is. This is contrasted with Numbers 23, where God blesses Israel as a nation through Balaam, speaking as the oracles of God. God's ultimate goal is that Israel will be blessed, but there must be a humbling process in daily life to get to this place of corporate blessing. And you will see an emphasis in these chapters, such as Exodus 30, where he warns them that not to number. Why? Because of the tendency of pride in numbering your armies, which is what happened when King David numbered the armies. God was moved. Israel had become at ease. And they were powerfully, powerful militarily. And God began to become angry because they were becoming proud and trusting in their military might to the point that God moved David to number them, their armies. And that resulted in serious judgment. 
And this is why there's judgment in the United States. Because there's a tendency to glory in our military might, to be at ease with all the things that God has blessed us with, and fail to seek God. God, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a powerful army, but if you trust in that instead of the Lord, that is wrong. And God wants his people in the United States to humble themselves and repent of these things and turn from just being at the church the way it always has been. You can't go back in a time of crisis like this to being the church the way it was. This is the time to repent and turn to him as never before. In fact, you should be getting together as churches in your city and having three days of fasting and prayer and maybe go on an Esther fast if you can for three days those that are healthy and can do it but really get desperate is it worth it to do that and to really have God's visitation and your nation delivered oh it's worth it all and this should happen it's good that people are volunteering and taking a stand and their school boards and so on keep up all of that good work as well so we go on And I share with you again. Now on Thursday, I receive 1 Samuel 12 and Deuteronomy 7. These two chapters are about the pride of man that offends God and shall be judged. And you really do see that in both of those chapters. So God puts these things together for his reason. And I, I don't... You can hear the audio messages on this. Some of these audio messages are really powerful. Powerful messages. They really are. I'm just touching on things today. On Friday, I received Romans 11 and Jonah 1, and that was a very powerful audio message. If you go back to that audio message, which was on Friday, June the 24th, Romans 11 and Jonah 1, those two passages powerfully fit together. Romans 11 is about Israel, of course, and how they were cut off and the Gentiles were grafted in. But Jonah 1 is just such a parallel with that because Jonah was so proud in his own righteousness that he couldn't show mercy to the Gentiles, to this Gentile nation. And I, there is a powerful message that came out of that. And it just flowed. And uh, I have other verses I put in here that God allowed me to be t touch on. And then yesterday and Saturday, again, a very strong, clear theme when I cast lots was John 10 and Hebrews 5. And both of these passages are about approaching God through Jesus Christ. John 10 is saying, Christ is saying, I am the door by me of any... The only way you can enter is through me. Hebrews 5 is about coming before God through the Son and about what Christ went through. Very clear theme there. And so I gave a message on that. And now we come to today, which is Genesis 32 and Philemon 1. These two chapters have the common theme of a crisis where it looks like one will not find mercy or grace but rather great loss before one 
whom they seek to be received by. I just need a drink of water. So I want to read from Genesis 32, the account of Jacob, certain passages there. Jacob is, has fled Laban. He's coming to face Esau, who vowed to kill him. And he knew that Esau had vowed to kill him. Or had, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying when he vowed that he wrote down a vow. But he was so angry that he said, I am determined I will kill him basically. So Jacob had reason to be very concerned as he was about to face Esau. And he did send servants ahead with some gifts. And they came back and he had a conciliatory message with Esau. But obviously Esau initially did not give a message to send back to Jacob. Because they came back and said, all we, we can tell you is that he's there with 400 men. So Jacob had a reason to be very, very concerned. And so we read, And I have oxen and asses, flocks and men servants, and may, women servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find grace and I say That was the initial one that I just, servants that just went out that I told you about. They came back and said, well, that's, he didn't, all, all there is is this to give you. He's there and there's 400 men with him. He didn't respond. Then we go down to verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which us unto me, return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children." He, you can be sure he is crying out with all his heart to God. Now, he, interestingly, in this chapter, he meets a band of angels as he's facing this crisis. You see, the Lord is with him. And the Lord was showing him that band of angels to let him know, I'm with you. I mean, it's pretty well something when you see angels. Now, I know one man that I got to know. Um, I don't know where he is now, but um, Bruce is his first name. He's a man that, for some reason, liked to go into really dangerous places and do things for the Lord. And... Uh, he often was involved in going to places like Lebanon and so on. And uh, he told me, you know, he's even written a book on how. But when all of these Christians were being slaughtered in Lebanon years ago, he was in there and he experienced angels a number of times protecting him. And there was bullets flying all over and everything, just missing him all the time and so on. 
he experienced angels. He was telling me how he had angels around him at times uh, that would just come on the scene and tell him, I'm sure they didn't look like, you know, some bright, shining being with white garments, but they came and told him, you know, go over here or go there or do this. You know, I don't know exactly. I've forgotten now the details of his experience. But God was here showing Jacob that he was with him already. But still, there was this concern. And he cries out. And so Jacob is left alone as he separates them into various companies to appease Esau with gifts and so on. He's left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. He would have known that this was an angel because he had already said in Genesis there that he met a band of angels. It plainly says that there. <clears throat> I don't have the verses right in front of me right now. I might be able to bring them up. Um, but he meets a band of angels. Earlier I could read that one. And it says, and when Jacob saw them, it says, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. It's plain. The angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's host. And he called the name of that place, Mahanam. And so here he is, and no doubt this is one of the angels of God's host. And I don't know what the angel said to him. The angel may have said to him something like, you were wrong in deceiving your brother Esau. And I am going to wrestle with you now to break that deception out of you. I will subdue you. And so a Jacob wrestles with the angel and when he saw that he prevailed not against him that's the angel he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint now do you think an angel would be so weak that he couldn't wrestle against Jacob no that angel had angels are super powerful beings no doubt if they take on their spiritual dimension which by the way is far superior or to the physical dimension. Um, I'm not going to get into all of that. I'm writing a book on life after death, and I don't. It's very interesting. But no doubt this angel limited himself to being in just human form and wrestled with Jacob. And so Jacob prevailed in the wrestling. And it says here, he prevailed not against him. He touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. You see how Jacob always, he had deception in his life. The name Jacob means deceiver. God wanted to unravel that and make him into Israel where there is no deceptiveness in it. And he did that by breaking his strength, his natural sufficiency. 
and its name was changed to Israel. And he said, and so the angel says to him, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? This is Jacob. And he said, Jake. And he said, okay. The angels asked him, what is your name? And Jacob says, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and man. And hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. So here you have God in the flesh actually wrestling with Jacob. Like Abraham saw Yahweh. He addressed him as Yahweh. And they ate together. So no doubt, Jacob realized after that who he had been wrestling with, when he looked on his face, he knew it was not an ordinary face. He had seen God face to face. Christ said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. No doubt he could perceive that there was something far more than a human being in this face that he was wrestling with. And in a sense, maybe he was seeing the face of Esau that was not going to show mercy to him. It's like the holiness of God. It will not tolerate sin. There, but what is so amazing is though God's holiness is so severe against sin, which is the integrity of his love. It is transcendent in mercy because God took judgment upon himself. And so God, no doubt Jacob saw in the face of God his severity against sin, the integrity and the beauty that comes out of this purity of love that will not tolerate sin. Remember, it's out of holiness that issues forth beauty. It says, worship God in the beauty that is of holiness. But in this face of God, he saw the mercy of God, that God was showing mercy to him. And yes, he broke his strength. And he broke that deception in Jacob. What was good that was so such a good quality in Jacob despite his deception was this hunger and thirst that he wanted reality. He wanted God. He wanted what was truly valuable and lasting, not the things of this life that are so meaningless and empty. And God honored that hunger that he had. And so he prevailed because of the hunger that was in his heart that so motivated him that he would say, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so he passed over Peniel. which is what he named that place, as the sun rose upon him and halted upon his thigh. And in Philemon 1, we have the account of Philemon. I don't know if I could just immediately jump to it here, but Philemon 1, I will go to as well, 
I think it is worth going to it. Philemon chapter 1. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, and Philemon, our dearly beloved, and fellow laborer, <clears throat> and to our beloved Apia, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. This is He's addressing Philemon. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So here's an interesting verse. Our ability to communicate effectually happens when we acknowledge every good thing that is in us. When we look at the good that is in us rather than the things that have not been perfected that may be discouraging to us. And that is what God wants us to do with one another. In order to bring forth the good in one another, we acknowledge the good in one another over the bad. It's showing mercy. It's showing favor to people that do not deserve maybe that, that favor in the natural. Jacob didn't deserve the mercy of God. He said that he wasn't worthy of his mercy. <clears throat> Jacob had <clears throat> incredible humility. We read a verse there in Genesis where he emphasizes before all of this happens, before he meets Esau, how unworthy he is of the mercy of God. He was aware that it wasn't his own righteousness. It was only the mercy of God that would keep him and that had blessed him. <clears throat> so God is calling us as his people to come to a place where we know a receiving of one another as Christ received us. What stops us receiving one another is the hardness of heart. I always illustrated as that which is like the electrons spinning around the nucleus of the atom that form a hard shell. That shell needs to continually be broken in our lives. That's why it says in the Word of God, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Because how did we receive Christ? It wasn't just some intellectual ascent or some little prayer that we prayed thinking that like a formula. No, there was a cry in our heart for the mercy of God. We saw that we needed him because we really saw in the light of his holiness our undoneness. You see, to really believe with our heart in who God is results in a deep turning in the heart. Because when we really see who God is in his holiness, in the integrity of his love, and that it is good, we cannot help but be aware of how we are unworthy of his mercy, of how undone we are, apart from his righteousness. 
God never intended us to trust in our own righteousness. Or we'd be worshiping ourselves and glorying in ourselves. That's why it says in Ezekiel, forget which chapter it is, I think it's Ezekiel 33, that if the righteous turn from their righteousness because they trust in their righteousness. See, it's because we trust in our righteousness, we turn from righteousness. It is a state of pride, and that is only possibly broken by entering the genuine fear of God, which is a choice and a turning of the heart to acknowledge God as good in the severity of his holiness that will not tolerate sin. And that aligns with the human conscience, which innately knows that for there to be good, there must be judgment on bad for good to prevail or for good to be preserved and grow, which points to the ultimate good who God is in his being that is holy. And that if, and so when we acknowledge that his holiness is good, we recognize also that he has the goodness to show mercy. And so we come to realize the greatness of his mercy towards us, that he would become an atoning substitutionary sacrifice for us. Now, I don't want to get into detail talking too much here. I have lost track of the time, almost. But I want to go on here. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee, which is convenient, yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again. Thou therefore receive him, that is mine own emotions or bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. And he goes on, and I don't want to get into reading all of this. But he basically is asking Philemon to receive Onesimus, now not as a slave, but as a son that is indeed a son. And God is calling us as his people to receive Christ, first of all, in his fullness so that we let go of the things that are hardening our heart that are the loves of the world. Because what we let go of is robbing us of an abundant life, even in this present world, that is not found in material things, but in the joy and the peace and the presence of God and in lives being changed and in relationships that are so fulfilling as we learn to love one another and forgive one another and show mercy to one another. God is calling the church to repent of being denominated and divided into little shells that confine and limit the glory of God in this hour. He is calling us to be the restorer of the breach. The one, the dweller of, the one that is the dweller of past. How does it say that in Isaiah? The restorer of the breach. And may it be, may it be that we are those that are receiving one another as Christ received us. 
we should wash one another's feet. Oh, if it's too hard to do or you got some concern, well, polish one another's shoes or something. But you know, we need to go to our brothers and sisters that we find hard to love. We need to humble ourselves before them and look at the good that's in them. Maybe they've really offended us or hurt us, or maybe, you know what? The best thing to do is to go before them and tell them how, and, and really seek to see the good in them and tell them how much we appreciate the good that's in them and share our faults with them. It says that we're to share one another's faults that we may be healed. The reason many of us aren't physically healed is because we're not discerning Christ in one another, brothers and sisters. He wants that hardness broken in our hearts. We need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God as never before and also before one another. I never forgot the lady that told me how her husband was far from the Lord and not coming to church and was hard in his heart. And God kept challenging her to go to him and wash his feet. And she kept resisting, but finally said to him, I'm going to wash your feet. And he said, no, no, don't do it. And when he, she did it, he broke down in tears and turned back to God. Brothers and sisters, God wants a mighty, mighty outpouring of his love in the body of Christ that breaks down the denominator denominative shells that limits the glory of God in our midst. He is calling us back to his first love. He wants to visit us as never before. We will conquer our nation when we repent and become his house of prayer. That's why I have this book that I've written. Because I want to see the glory of God in the land of the living. I want to see his go. I want to be part of what God's doing in the last days. I too. I've been through many struggles. God led me to different denominations. And I know I've been, I was misunderstood by them because they would limit God. But I learned to overcome with love. If I told you what happened in one Pentecostal denomination, you'd be shocked. But I went back to them after they to totally wrongly misjudged me. It was shocking. And, you know, I love them very much to this day. And I could visit them any time there now and, and really appreciate the riches that is in that particular denomination. And God wants the riches of this denomination and the riches of that denomination to flow together in these last days. It's going to happen whether you get in the way or not and pray that you don't get in line with what God wants to do. He wants us to pray and seek him as never before. He challenged me about a year and a half ago if I would double my prayer time just as COVID was coming out. First of all, I had the angel of the Lord come into my room. I didn't see him visibly, but I knew it was an angel that came into my room. And he clearly spoke to me, not audibly, but it was very strong and clear that he was going to protect me from COVID, and he did. I was so stupid, I got the first vaccination, though. I shouldn't have. I, at that time, just didn't know about the dangers of the vaccination. But God has protected me. But he wants to visit us as his people. And so, I doubled my prayer time, even though I was already praying 
quite a long time each day all my life. I'm not saying that it becomes a religious duty to me that I have to do all the time. I always pray against that, and or of it being, being a thing of merit. But God does want us to really seek him as never before, as individuals and corporately. He does. And I feel the seal of God on my forehead right now. And it is strong, calling his people to mourn over what he mourns and to rejoice over what he rejoices over. To break the insular state of being that you're in where you cannot feel that burden for his bride to come forth and for people to be saved. Break that insular state. That hardness is broken through the fear of God represented in the negative and positive symbol which represents the two aspects of the being of God's love. First in his holiness, out of which is the love of God and his mercy. So I am encouraging the body of Christ to wake up. This is the time to wake up and repent and receive one another's Christ received you. God bless you all. And you can purchase my book, God, Headship, and Body Invasion on the internet, and that will help me. I really do need help financially at this time. I don't have a nonprofit organization, but I do have on loverealize.com. They're a place where you can purchase links to purchase the book or to give a donation. I want to get out of debt and be totally focused on God's work. I'm not, you know, I'm fine, but, you know, it's very tight times. and I am sacrificing. I could have made a lot of money a long time ago because I know a lot about how to do things on the Internet. But I sacrificed it because I wasn't going to lose out on my prayer time with God. So God bless you, and we'll look forward to talking again.